All right. Hey, podcast. Welcome to the uh, next episode of the Kish Soccer Podcast. We're joined today by Matt Arrington, a good friend of mine. Matt is originally from Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, as a youth player, Matt played for Olney Soccer Club, which is now OBGC. He also played for Bethesda Soccer Club and Walt Whitman High School, graduating in 2006. Uh, with his, when he went on to play in college, he went to George Mason University, uh, which is here locally. He was part of the first recruiting class of Greg Andrulis, who is the uh, former head coach for the Columbus Crew. His freshman year, the team was ranked number 20 in the nation and went on to compete in the NCAA tournament. Matt ended up leaving after his sophomore year to pursue, pursue a career abroad in Italy, which we'll get into in the pod. Uh, and now Matt helps out the DC United Youth Academy as a U-17 assistant coach, and he also runs his own company. He's a CEO of Arrington Training and Development, which is a one-stop shop for soccer players for everything they could want from ball work to injury evaluations and rehab, strength and conditioning programs, and uh, also competitive playing with a U23 program and some other programming throughout the year. So if you're interested in that, contact Matt at matt at atdsoccer.com. Matt also just started a podcast of his own, Time and Space Podcast, which is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So welcome, Matt. Thanks, Thanks for man. joining us. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I'm glad we could sit down and have the conversation. Yeah, and Matt and I uh, have been on a couple podcasts together, which were we're hoping we'll drop soon with the DC United <laughs> podcast. And uh, we kind of got into the podcast game at the same time. So this is pretty cool to see where it's evolved. Your headphones are much better than mine and your audio is much better. But uh, you, I think you're taking the lead in the podcast game here. Listen, man, I'm just trying to set the tone and learn from uh, other guys who do it better than I do. So yeah, with, with, all the, with all this time we've got right now, like, why not start a podcast, yeah. write a book, whatever. Yeah, you and me both. And uh, big shout out to Matt for being patient tonight. I actually got locked out of my house for everybody that's listening. And uh, Matt was kind enough to delay the the start here as I waited for my wife to come home and let me in. So uh, it wasn't a <laughs> mar- it wasn't a marital issue. It was uh, we just forgot my key. This <laughs> is life, man. This is uh, these things happen, and it it keeps it real. I was actually really excited to wear my Gorilla FC uh, Beltway jersey that. here. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's I'm cool. repping. Yeah, we're up in Gorilla FC. You have to tag them. They're awesome. Yeah, they sure. make some really cool stuff. And they do um they run a whole bunch of different teams and pickup games and they do futsal every week on Sundays in DC. They're a good group of guys. Awesome. No, that's yeah. awesome. We'll, we'll give them a shout out for sure. So for everybody listening, uh Matt and I actually met um through our U23 programs. I was coaching the U23 program at DC United and Matt was coaching the U23 program that he runs out of his facility and through his company Arrington Training and Development and uh, Matt and I started talking and had some coffees and some lunches and eventually uh, Matt ended up coming over to help out with DC United uh, with our youth academy um, and actually decided to leave Howard University which is what the bulk of our conversation will be tonight Um, you know focusing on the college side of things and Matt's time with Howard and his time with George Mason but uh, Matt just if you could give us a a little more background on you as well anything I missed or anything you want to highlight just kind of your career in soccer no I think generally you you pretty much hit on it I mean just uh, you know I'd say outside of that someone who's just been a lifelong fan and uh, just totally obsessed with it and um I think I've really just made an effort over the years, whether it was as a player or now as a coach, just to try to 
learn as much as I possibly can and just continue growing. And, and similar to like what I just said about starting a podcast is just trying to learn from people who got more experience than I do. And, you know, guys that I look up to and, you know, I think, uh, just talking about briefly that change from Howard to DC United, it's been a really positive move so far. And I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. And then more than anything else, kind of the group of staff that we have there and how professional and serious everybody is. So that's the only little bit I would add to any of that. No. Awesome. Well, uh, something I really admire about you, Matt, is I think you're extremely humble and just kind of a, you know, a good, a good guy. And I think that's something that as you go through your life professionally, you just try to, you know, you decide who you're attracted to, I think, and whether that's, you know, guys that see the game similar, similarly to you, or they, um, you know, have a similar personality, similar interests, things like that. But, you know, I think you and I are somebody that we just kind of got along from the start, you know, very early. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's been great getting to know you and, you know, help, help your career in different ways with different challenges you wanted. And I, I think I was intrigued by your path. So I want to kind of jump into that and kind of, I want to kind of rewind with you to like, when you were a youth player, so playing for, you know, Bethesda or Olney or mm-hmm. Walt Whitman and like what you remember about the college recruiting process, because that's what I, you know, our, our big goal here is to bring value on the college recruiting process and different topics within it. So sure. what do you remember about being a, you know, high school athlete going through that college recruiting process? Uh, going through the process specifically, it, it, it looked a lot different when I was that age, when I was in high school. Um, you know, we didn't have the DA yet. We didn't have this kind of plethora of leagues to play in. There weren't as many tournaments. I mean, there were a couple high-profile ones. So a lot, of the, a lot of the onus was on you as the individual to really get your name out there um, and to play as much as possible and to, to, to kind of take the lead in, in getting in touch with coaches and schools. So I remember I was playing for – only for a team called only rovers coached by pete wood who's now in charge of obgc um who was a fantastic influence on me and really if nothing else taught me the meaning of hard work um i was playing for him up through ninth grade i made the varsity team at whitman in 10th grade and i had a couple friends who were playing for a team in bethesda their coach came to watch me, a guy named Emil Mbu, who now has his own club in the area called Lion Soccer. It's Cameroon, ex-Cameroon International, was captain in two World Cups. And basically, he had come out to watch me in one of the Whitman games and came up to me after the game and was like, hey, listen, I want you to play for me. To which I was like, absolutely, man. You're, you're, the career you've had, you're like an idol to me. I'll do whatever you say. So my college recruiting process or even my thought along those lines probably didn't really start until I joined – Emil's team and it was just a little bit of a higher level more guys who were committed to playing and wanted to play at higher levels so it just got me thinking more and more about all right well how do I how do I go about this process who do I talk to where do I want to play I mean I didn't really know anything about college soccer at that point in all honesty because it wasn't really on tv and there weren't all these websites and and blogs and social media platforms that were dedicated to it so you kind of had to go out and find it and what I ended up doing along with a couple of my friends who are also soccer obsessed was we just started going out to Maryland soccer games and we would go watch, you know, the big ones, Maryland's versus the Indiana's, the Ohio State's, uh, Clemson's, North Carolina's of the world. Um, and that was probably my first real exposure to it. And I was, you know, like, okay, well, this is the environment I want to be in. So I just started reaching out to coaches, um, started sending emails out to, to obviously the, the schools in the area, um, 
even at that point, sending like FedEx packages of like my profile, my resume, um, where I was playing and any sort of highlights I had. Uh, it was kind of a different time. You couldn't just send a YouTube video over or anything like that. So uh, I just kind of went about it that way. And, and as well as the various tournaments we went to, just got, you know, paper mail from different schools and coaches who were interested and just kind of, it took off from there. So then you, you make the decision to, to go to George Mason and kind of how did that one come together? So George Mason ended up being one of probably a, just a couple of final options I had at, at the level I wanted between, I'd say it was like George Mason, um, American University was an option. I was talking to Clemson, but there wasn't really anything substantial there. I didn't feel, you know, maybe there was a conversation about a walk-on position, but I was kind of in the mindset of I wanted to play to school a bit naively, honestly, I want to play at school where I could get the most scholarship money I could, as well as playing at the, the highest level, you know, kind of the highest ranked team out of the bunch who, who were offering the most scholarship money. And I was kind of approaching the idea late in high school of, you know, hey, I don't want to go to college, I wanted to try to pursue an opportunity abroad as quickly as I could, which my parents were not thrilled about. And they made it pretty clear at a certain point, like, Hey, listen, you know, you've got a couple options on the table. It was, you know, winter into spring of my senior year. And they're like, you need to make a final decision because you know, you need to have an option for school and something set in stone for next year. And if something else comes up, if you were able to make it happen to go abroad, then great. You know, you can, you can make that decision at that point. So I ended up going to visit AU and, and did an overnight there. And then I did a visit at George Mason and, uh, I was actually spent most of my time with Chris Kelderman, who's the assistant coach at that point, who's now at uh, Wisconsin Green Bay as the head coach, I believe. And it's just a he, wonderful guy, totally, total players coach. And uh, him and I really hit it off. And uh, yeah, I, I probably got to knew him, know him a little bit better before, I, before getting to know uh, Greg Andrulis, the head coach of the team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was sold on at that point. It kind of, it felt right at that moment. Remember, if there was anything that kind of pushed you over the edge, like I, I think that's always something I talk about recruits with is like, you just kind of know when you know, you know, whether it's like, you know, for an adult, I think it's like buying a house or a car or, you know, when you decide who you want to get married to, it's like, you just have that feeling where, you know, you remember where it was like that for you as like a, you know, 18 year old, 19 year old, because I think that is very difficult for young players is like, when do you know, you know, and I think it, for me, it's a feeling like you just, you know, when you know. Right. No, I, I, I know what you mean. My, my mom always taught me like, go with your gut more than anything else, right? Your, your gut will tell you what your brain isn't. Uh, I think it was when I was, I was sitting down having a conversation with, with the staff. When I went there to visit, it was, you know, me, uh, Chris Kelderman, Dave Tenney was the other assistant who went on to, to spend time with Seattle Sounders. And then now he's with the Orlando Magic as a, as a performance, head of performance there. Uh, but with those two, and then the head coach, Greg Andrulis, and we we're just kind of talking about their histories, their experience, their career path, what the direction of the team was going to look like because he had literally just taken over the, the team that season and I was going to be a part of his first recruiting class. So it was kind of this exciting thing to have this ex, you know, MLS coach of the year be interested in you and kind of sell you on this message of, of what this program is going to be. So I think that was probably the moment where I was like, you know what, okay, this, this makes sense. It's, it's kind of close to home, which I, I think ultimately that was something I wanted at that point. And uh, yeah, the, those pieces fell into place. They, they, they were preaching they were going to play a style of soccer that I was attracted to. And 
you know, I had come through the last couple of years playing for Emil at Bethesda. Um, yeah, and all those pieces kind of fit into place. They had exceptional facilities. Fields were beautiful. I know when the national team was was ever in the area, they would always be training at Mason. I mean, it was it still was do the, right. They, they think yeah. Burhalter just trained with his group there. I know some some of our guys went out to watch. So yeah, yeah. And, and just last summer, um, when those French teams did the round robin over at Audi oh. Field, um, they were training over at Mason. So I was actually over there helping out with some stuff uh, with the George Mason ID camp, and we were seeing uh all like the uh marseille players like yeah Rootman and you know their head coach andres villas boas and it was pretty cool that's awesome so how was the experience overall so you become a you know division one athlete um you know at a local school playing for an xmls coach how was just the experience overall for the uh two years that you were there it was it was hard it was it was really it was really difficult for me personally and i, and I made it difficult for myself which, you know, I, I don't think I really thought hard enough about at the time. I came into the program still somewhat with the mentality of that I wanted to play professionally at some point. And that was my goal. And I did a very bad job of managing my soccer, academic and social balance. Um, I put basically all my time into soccer and, and somewhat into academics. I did fine in school, you know, I, past classes and got a 3.0 around there but I made no time socially I just didn't really have any interest to to dive into the social scene there um I think over the course of two years while I was there I went out one time um which is just crazy for a college kid for an 18 or 19 year old but I just uh I wanted to be on the field um I wanted to play all the time and I wanted to kind of at least in my eyes the way to do that was just to play as much as possible and to train as much as possible um, but ultimately, I think not having that that really strong social structure really was a disservice to me because it didn't allow me to connect as much with my teammates. Um, I think it made me struggle a little bit making the transition from being at home and being at high school to being in a new environment with a new social scene and a new circle of friends and really diving in that way, which ultimately helps you on the playing field. I mean, building those bonds and relationships with your teammates. Um, but outside of that, you know, just looking at the the soccer perspective specifically, you know, I came in there with a lot of conversations about, hey, you know, you're going to come in, you're going to get playing time, you're going to compete for time at left back. There's one guy who's a senior who was, you know, the main man at left back. And after him, there weren't really many options. So I was like, oh, great. Okay, this looks like a good opportunity for me to kind of get my feet wet in the college game. And it ended up being, I think it was our last home game. It was one of our last games of the season. And I hadn't played yet. And I was just kind of, it was me and a, and a handful of other freshmen outside of maybe our, our goalkeeper, who was exceptional. He was my roommate, uh, a guy named Sean Kelly. Um, him and one other freshman, the only two that really played. And, you know, uh, it was a, we were warming up before one of our last home games. And, you know, Greg pulled me over to the bench and was basically like, hey, listen, you know, we're going to end up redshirting you this year, which totally blindsided me. And I was not happy about because I was just dying to play. But I think he was kind of trying to play this uh, this long play, for lack of a better phrase, of trying to keep this group he had brought in for kind of as long as he could, keep him for an extra year and kind of cycle out the guys who he didn't bring in or have anything to do with. But it kind of felt a little dishonest to me at the moment, and I felt kind of been sold on something I didn't want. Uh, so that that beat me up pretty bad. And then basically I went from training at – 
you know, my absolute maximum every day to, I mean, I was completely deflated from that moment. And for the next couple of weeks of the season, it just kind of canned the rest of the season for me, to be honest. And then kind of had to reassess things uh, that winter going into our spring and kind of deciding like, okay, what is this going to be for me? Um, and so kind of moving into my sophomore year, uh, started every single game, played, you know, almost every minute of those games, bar a couple where I had injury. I think it was two games where I had injuries. A, a, groin, is, a groin issue was kept reoccurring. But uh, even with all the gameplay and all the minutes I took on, I just was like, I'm not not happy here. Like this is this isn't really what I want. So, you know, that was that was kind of my two years in a nutshell. And a big part of that as well was losing Chris Kelderman and Dave Tenney after my freshman year. They both took pro jobs with uh, Kansas City now FC Kansas City. Um, they were just, uh, they were, ex or Sporting Kansas City, sorry. They were just exceptional guys, exceptional coaches who, who really kept that group together. And, and I mean, I, I just think the world of them. Uh, I haven't connected with Chris Kelderman in a long time, but it's on my list of things to do. I still keep in kind of small contact with Dave Tenney, but um, I think they were impossible to replace. So that was, that was a big loss for me going to my sophomore year. As you, as you look back at that, because you, you mentioned that you just kind of reflected and looked in the mirror and realized that you weren't happy. And I'm sure that's after the sophomore year, after you played every minute. And then you look at the freshman year where I'm sure you couldn't have been happy if you were there to play soccer and you weren't playing. As right. you look at that, you know, um, is there anything else that like knowing that going back, if you could have gone back in the process that you would have done different, that you think you could have gone somewhere that would have made you happier? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, and obviously things happen the way they, they're supposed to happen. Like your life right. was on a path because you went to Mason and all that. But like, what do you think if you could go back, what would you have done differently to, to be happier, you know, in college and maybe stay for four years? Yeah. I think if I were, if I were to follow a different pathway, I think it would be, you know, maybe, maybe I would have pursued the, uh, the Clemson route more aggressively because at the end of the day, at, at the very least, they were really clear with kind of what the picture was for me. Um, I went down there and spoke directly with the head coach at the time. I think it was Trevor Adair, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we just had an honest conversation. He was kind of like, listen, you know, we've seen you play. We like you. We think you're good, but you're not one of our top guys. We're not going to give you any money, but we can give you a walk-on position. Um, and Clemson was actually a school that I'd always, I mean, idolized. It's where my dad went to school. I grew up going to church there when I visited my, my grandparents who lived there over the summers. And we just had a really strong history with Clemson as a family. And, you know, I grew up cheering on every Clemson sport there was. So I think if I look back at it, I think that maybe that would have been a better route, not just because of the emotional attachment to the school, but because at the end of the day, I think they were the ones who were maybe the most honest and upfront with me about where I fit. And I think a lot of kids, unfortunately, get kind of sold on ideas when they come to these schools and it's a little, it's a little bit of a shock when you walk into a college, a big college campus, when you're a high school kid, you kind of become this, uh, this small, small fish in a big pond. And it's easy to kind of, you know, have your eyes kind of glow to everything and, and just kind of nod and say, okay. Um, but I think it really takes a strong personality as a kid to ask those tough questions about where I'm going to fit, how I'm going to, you know, where you see me in this team, what the plan is, even if it, it is something honest from a head coach of like, Hey, listen, you're going to sit for a year, but you know, we have high hopes for you after that. And, or if it's just like, Hey, you're going to have to battle for a spot, just like everybody else, at least, you know, what you're coming in to do. Um, and I think looking back on it, maybe that would have been the best choice for me. 
maybe to, to continue the conversation with Clemson. Yeah, I think it's interesting too because you're you're saying you're attracted to the honesty, right? And that's something a yeah. lot of times guys go a route where they're attracted to the bigger name school, the bigger profile program, the you know yeah. Power Five conference school, whatever it might be, ACC school, Big Ten school, whatever it might be. So um, that that's a really good point. Um, no, that's all great, great stuff. So you end up leaving, you go to Italy, you study abroad over there for, for a while, kind of walk us through that one. Yeah. So, so basically, I mean, it was, whether it was by, by fate or good fortune, um, you know, it was strange when I, when I left, when I left Mason, um, <laughs> it's actually something just pops to mind. When I left Mason, I, I just, I was coming back from shoulder surgery. I got in shoulder surgery during that off season. It's just a, dislocation and torn labrum that had just been reoccurring since my senior year of high school. I finally got it taken care of. And I remember I, I just, I had a lot of time to sit by myself recovering from this injury and think about what I wanted to do. And finally came to the decision that, you know, the best move for me personally was to kind of get out of this rut and, and have a change of scenery. So I went to Andrews's office. I kind of let him know how I felt. We talked it through a little bit. He respected my decision and, and we kind of went forward from there. I, I was still finishing out my semester at the school and I ran into Nick Carlin Voigt at the grocery store, who is now the head coach. He was the assistant coach for us at Mason. He's now the head coach at Portland. And he's done an unbelievable job there. I mean, taking them back to being like a top, top five, top 10 school in the country. Um, and I saw him down one of the aisles and I was like, damn, I was like, I know he hasn't heard about this yet. I was kind of trying to dodge him. And eventually we ended up walking down the same aisle and he's like, Oh man, how are you doing? How's your shoulder? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. And I was like, you haven't spoken to Greg yet. Have you? And he's like, no, why? And I was like, ah, I was like, Nick, I, I left the team man. I just quit. Mm-hmm. And Nick and I had always had a, a good relationship. We we'd gone back and forth about stuff at training before. And, but it, it had always been, cordial and he kind of it was funny he like froze up and kind of like looked off for a second like he was processing it and he just goes you should go to brazil mm-hmm. and i was like what like why what do you mean he's like i don't know he's like you should go play in brazil <laughs> and i just you went like that was it that was it and i just went thanks thanks man like i appreciate it, nick thanks for <laughs> everything you did for me yeah and he was you know so I don't know that that's this, this, this thing that's always stuck with me from, from Nick Carl Avoid when I left the team. But it, yeah, at the end of the day, I, um, I finished out my semester and in the spring, I was just figuring out what I was going to do, talking a lot about with my family, um, ended up going to Maryland for a semester. I wouldn't talk to, wouldn't talk to God, the assistant coach there. What was his name? He ended up working with NYCFC for a while as a uh, assistant coach. Um, anyways, I went to talk to him over at Maryland and, um, told him like, you know, I was going to be there at school in the fall. And we had a conversation about me playing with Maryland or coming on there as a walk-on. I'd played against them the season before, um, started and played about 80, 85 minutes against them as a left back and survived. If I want to put it the best way, I did okay against uh, a team of 11 professionals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was a conversation about walking on there and, we met in his office, talked it through, and I actually went home and thought about that one for a while. And I was kind of like really out of love with the game. And uh, I ended up, you know, calling him back and I just said, Hey, you know, listen, I'm going to just step away for a little bit. I kind of need to recollect myself. So 
didn't do that, went to school for the semester and ended up going back and just training with my old coach Emil for six months, eight months, and just trying to like rediscover a love for the game again. And it probably took me about three or six months to really get that feeling back again. And it was totally attributed to, to him to help me get there. And once I did, it was kind of strange how things lined up. My, my stepfather is uh, an Italian citizen. He grew up in Philadelphia. His parents are Italian and he'd spent some time living back over there during his working career. And he was part of the national Italian American foundation. And he was actually at an event um, one time and was just catching up with some, some old friends at this, uh, at this event they had. And the guy was asking about family and asking how I was doing. They knew I was playing soccer at Mason and he, you know, my stepdad Gabe told him, he was like, yeah, you know, he quit Mason. He's trying to figure it out. And he's, he's just kind of looking at options and, hopefully wants to play abroad at some point but you know we'll see what happens and the guy he was talking up to he actually went oh well, my daughter lives in Italy you know let me talk to her maybe she knows somebody and he, the guy actually ended up following through with it he talked to his daughter this this woman named Stefania who I ended up matching when I was over there she had a close friend this guy Dante who used to be a pro player whose former coach was a guy named Walter Martucci who was a former player for AS Roma coached a couple of uh, teams and then ended up being he was an agent over there in Italy and so through this weird series of connections like it kind of ended up getting back to this guy and then back to my stepdad and he's like hey listen you know my daughter's got a friend over there who's who's connected in some capacity maybe he could help um and not until I meet them that not until did I meet them where I was like why do these people like give why do they care why do they want to you know, help me or out or anything like that. Um, long story short, this connection was made and I ended up going over there in the winter. I'd sent them over some game film. Uh, they, they, they looked at it. They liked it. I went over there. I met with them. Uh, I met with, with this guy, Dante, who's a former pro player and who's really now honestly like family to me. He actually came over here a few months ago and got to spend some time together. Um, but I ended up showing him my game film again. He gave me this long lecture. Do you know what it takes to be a pro? Do you want to be a pro? Are you committed to it? So on and so forth. Yes, yes, yes. Ends up introducing me to his former coach, Walter, who's an agent. Um, gives me the same lecture. Watches more of my game film. Reviews stuff with me. Then he's like, at the end of this meeting, and this is my first day there. I'm so jet lagged. It's like a fog. He's basically like, listen, all right, I got to see you play uh, in person did you bring your stuff with you? And I was like, yeah, of course I got stuff with me. So he's like, okay, I'm going to set you up with a Serie D team, fourth division. Uh, we'll send a car to pick you up tomorrow and you'll come out and train with them. It's like, cool, no problem. Ends up completely changing the plan. He calls me a few hours later on my hotel with my stepdad. And he's like, yeah, change the plan. You're actually going to train with uh, AS Roma's reserve team. Um, we'll send a car to pick you up in the morning. And I'm like, yo, like that's completely different. This really is, yeah. yeah. So I didn't sleep a wink that night. I was mm -hmm. so nervous. Uh, but yeah, the next morning I sent a car to pick me up. I go out to Trigoria, the tra AS Roma's training ground, get there early. I'm like sitting in the lobby. Uh, you know, Daniela De Rossi's walking in, uh, you know, just like all these legends of the game, like Juan and then Totti walks in like Totti is like my idol, like growing up. And I'd watched him from you know, my house in, in Bethesda for like years and years and years. And now I'm standing there like looking at this guy and Dante's there with me. And he's like, Oh, Francesco, like, come here, meet my friend. And so I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, I'm Matt. I don't speak any Italian at that point. 
and he didn't speak any English. Yeah. And he's kind of he's kind of famous. Like not only is he like nicknamed the King of Rome, but he's kind of famous over there for like kind of being a little like not like super smart. Like you know, mm-hmm. he barely finished high school. Like he's a soccer player. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "Well, I'm here. I'm trying to play soccer." And he's like, "Oh, cool. You know, where are you from? America?" I'm like, "Oh, but Maryland, outside of D.C. Cool." And so we kind of stood there. It wasn't really anything to talk about because neither of us spoke each other's language. And he just like pats you on the shoulder, and in English, he goes, "Good luck," and walks <laughs> big, away. Big gulps, huh? Yeah, dude. Big gulps. Well, see you later, <laughs> dude. It was just uh, it was like this this surreal moment, um, and. So, so I went and, uh, you know, I go to the equipment guy. They give me all my, my gear. I'm like, wow, you know, all this AS Roma gear. And I just put all my stuff on and go out to the field. And Daniele De Rossi's dad is actually the head coach of the reserve team. Um, so I go out there. I'm training with those guys. Go through the session. Walter, the agent, is up in the stands watching. And it's, like, funny. It's, like, this whole series. Like, Walter's up there with Dante. who's all, Stefania is also there. And it's, like, this chain of people who had, like, linked up to connect me to get there. And, um yeah, I go through the session. It was hard. Like it wasn't athletically difficult. It was just a totally different level of play that I never experienced before. It was just, everybody was two steps ahead of me. Um, and the whole session's in Italian. Whole session's in Italian. No idea what's going on. A couple of the kids like tried to translate stuff to me and mm-hmm. you know, they spoke their a little bit of English that they practice at school and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, but I ended up like going through the session and I survived. I did fine scored a couple goals in like a small sided game, but didn't really do anything particularly well. Like, mm-hmm. again, I was just trying to catch up to things, but I get through the session and, um, you know, basically Walter comes down afterwards, checks in all good. And he's like, basically like, he's like, yeah, confirmed what I saw in the video. I like what I see, like go home for a few months. I'm going to organize some trials for you. Make sure you're working out and take care of business at home. And I'll send you over what I get put together. So I was like, all right, great. Um, ended up going home for three months, dropped out of school and just trained like crazy. Went back over to Europe in, in late July, August, just went around the country trialing with teams that had been set up and then eventually settled on a team over there called San Paolo Stiense, just a small town, small team in Rome. Um, and then while I was there, just, uh, went to the American university of Rome basically to fill the hours of my day because training's only two hours a day and you got to figure out what to do the other 20, 22. So I loved it, man. I really loved it. I, I really, really grew up during those years and um, spent about two and a half years there, played for two different teams, went on trial with a couple more while I was basically in season with my various teams. So uh, it was just a pretty incredible experience that, um, you know, I don't even, it's difficult to put into words. Yeah. And it's just so different uh, when you compare it to like a young players experience here right whether it's in high school even in college right that experience is so different than you know playing for a top a top uh, winning a national championship you know playing for a right. top NCAA team and winning a national championship and probably just the experiences you had the freedom you had is the big difference and probably also like how often you trained I would imagine right like the limitless training the limitless games right that's a big difference compared to like the NCAA I would imagine from what you experienced yeah, I mean, we were, we were year-round. Uh, I mean, still the strangest thing to me in the world is that the that college soccer still, you know, what, late, late August through November, and then you're done. And I know we still kind of have this this excuse for the spring season, but it's not a season. It's just a bunch of pickup games, and they've got to make a change. I really hope they switch this 21st century model. Um, but, yeah, I mean, then then going from two years of that and at George Mason to then going to Italy where it was like, 
you know, I was, I was checking my calendar, see if I could even come home for Christmas. Um, so I, I squeezed in, you know, I talked to the, to the coaching staff and to the organization and be like, Hey, you know, can I go, go home for a week for Christmas? And they'd be like, yeah, you know, you got a uh, six days. So I'd go home for, you know, uh, you know, a Monday through Friday and fly back on a Sunday or whatever and get right back to training and back to games and stuff. But I loved it, man. I mean, again, like I told you, my freshman year at Mason, all I wanted to do was play, man. I wanted to play as much as I could all the time. And I was fortunate to find a place where I could do that at a high level. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a really cool background. I know I'd learned a lot of things there about you. So hopefully uh, everybody who tunes in finds that really interesting as well. I think that's a really interesting path. So um, now I want to fast forward to basically you come back and then you get mm -hmm. into coaching. Yeah. So take me through like your first college coaching experience once you get into coaching college. So the college coaching thing was um, like getting, getting, you know, or ending up at Howard or getting into Howard was kind of a, a funny series of events. Um, Philip Jowd got the head coaching job. I'd probably been home maybe like a year or two, um, kind of got into coaching on the very low, low side, just kind of get my feet wet, starting my licenses, um, had come to the, the very difficult realization that I just, I wasn't going to play anymore. You know, I needed to, I'd gone through some injuries. I needed to pay rent. I needed to, to face some realities in life. And I just, you know, I was like, well, I want to try to stick around the game as best I can. So coaching became a natural transition. Um, Emil, you know, is a, a name you're going to hear a lot probably throughout this podcast. He had taken the assistant job, the first assistant job at, at Howard underneath Coach Jow, and I, I guess, recommended me um, as somebody he should consider as his, for a second assistant. Um, so I actually randomly got a call from Coach Jow one day who I hadn't spoken to in years and told me he had, he had accepted the position, he'd hire Emil, and he asked me if I would be interested he was going to talk to a couple of different people, but asked me if I'd be interested in, in the position if it came down to it, which I told him like, yeah, of course. Um, even though again, I don't think I was prepared in any way, shape or form at that point for that job. But of course I was ready to dive in head first. So I told him, yes, he ended up going with somebody else. He ended up going with uh, Derek Phillips, who's Lincoln Phillips son, former head coach and won the national championship twice with Howard 71 and 74. Um, Derek, who's just, you know, I eventually coached, with and I can't say enough good things about but anyways he ends up hiring those two guys the season goes on fall season ends winter happens spring season starts up for Howard and I come to find out that um that basically the assistant coaches there were some issues with I guess some agreement in their contract or with pay or something of the sort where like basically Jow didn't have assistance for the spring um and I kind of saw it as, as an opportunity. So once I heard that, I got in contact with Coach Chow and I said, hey, listen, you know, if you need help, I'm happy to help. I don't need anything. I don't need money. I just, I just want an opportunity. To which he was like, absolutely, come tomorrow morning. We train at 7 a.m. at the stadium. And so I was like, great, okay, I'll be there. Another, we'll see you in the morning. See you in the morning, dude. Oh, absolutely, you're yeah. You're with Howard. Yeah, didn't sleep much that night either. Got up at like 5 a.m., Drove out to, to Green Stadium um, on Howard's campus in D.C. Come out to practice, get an idea what I'm looking at, talk to Coach Jow, watch the session. And at the end of the session, and I had not really done anything, at the end of the session, he goes, meet your new assistant coach, Matt Arrington. 
I was like, well, we got some stuff to talk about, but I appreciate it, man. Um, long story short there, uh, both Emil and Derek ended up coming back, which is great. I absolutely love those guys. And it's really a pleasure and an honor for me to work with both of them. Um, but I ended up being a volunteer assistant for them for two years, um, until Derek left the position to, to focus on his business and spend more time with family to which I then took the full-time assistant coaching job. So really your first college experience was Howard just thrown right into it. Yeah. Thrown right into it. So that's, yep. And I think our, our first, my first games with Howard were oddly enough at George Mason. It was at the, uh, the Capital Classic tournament that it was Howard, GWAU, and Mason, which doesn't exist anymore, that tournament. And I was like, oh, my God, my first college coaching game is going to be against Greg Andrulis. Those are eerie, eerie moments, right? Dude, it was, it was very strange to come back on that campus and, and play against them and coach against them and, you know, say, see Greg and shake hands with them and do all that kind of stuff. And it was a weird uh, – it was weird how, how life had kind of maybe come full circle in that moment. Oh yeah. That's awesome. No, that's cool. Um, so I, I really want to dig into your experience at Howard, like specifically with recruiting. So I want to, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about like, can you fill in the, the listeners on a, like what are some of the highlights about Howard university, you know, the campus, the, the oh, culture man. off the field, the, uh, the location, you know, what makes Howard Howard. And then also what makes Howard soccer, Howard soccer. Cause there's a lot of history there with, with the national championship runs right. with the NCAA, uh, you know, violations with the uh, just the history and kind of the, what it, the role it played, I think in soccer in the country. And then certainly, you know, for, for soccer, um, you know, in, in DC is a big part of, you know, that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, um, uh, just from up to start with this from a recruiting standpoint i mean uh i knew if i could get a recruit on campus they would commit like 100 percent, just because it was it was that powerful of a place um and and just being in dc i mean just being in the capital of our country which is just it's, it's such an incredible place and especially if you're a kid coming from out of town and you're not really used to it and you come and you you see dc kind of in its all encompassing kind of you know amazing way shape and form with the monuments and the history and and just the activity i mean it's it's really a powerful place to be and then you throw howard on top of it and just the history that university has and what it stands for and what it represents and just kind of being you know the shining light for you know hbcus across the country and then for the black community across the world um you know, it's, it's an extremely powerful place and you can really kind of feel the history when you're there. Um, and just for me personally, it was extremely humbling being there. It was extremely humbling learning from the staff and the students around me, um, and getting to understand the place better. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, the history of the soccer program itself is amazing. And I, I just touched on Lincoln Phillips, who is not just a legend at Howard, but a legend in soccer in our region and in our country um he actually taught my first coaching course you know years before i ever even knew howard existed um i did my e-license with him out in Bowie, maryland and he had a huge impact on me there and then i come to end up coaching at howard and realizing that he is the legend that he is um 
But yeah, I mean, Howard had teams in 71 and 74 that won the national championships. The 71 championship got rescinded uh, due to some very shady investigation and rule, you know, regulation by the NCAA that said that a player on the team was ineligible for some strange reason, like he had played pro soccer back in his home country, even though that had never been proven. Um, a lot of people point the finger at the fact that when the 71 team won the national championship and Nixon invited him to the White House, the team voted that they didn't want to go because they felt it was a political ploy by Nixon to try to get the black vote. Um, and they voted against it. So Lincoln Phillips politely declined. And then oddly enough, this NCAA investigation came up very soon after their declining of that invitation. So a little strange there, but a testament to the university and the program and Lincoln Phillips. They came back and won the championship in 1974, and I believe they didn't lose a single game. I believe they were perfect. Um, so there is a, there's an unbelievable amount of history there, and it's it was a lot to live up to while we were there. Um, but you know, it's it was also really it was really motivating. It was really motivating to know what that school had done and what it could be, and kind of the direction of where it needed to, uh, to return. Yeah. And I can, uh, th that's an awesome history, both, you know, on both sides, on the soccer side, on the, on the, uh, just the culture side, everything there. I can remember when I was an assistant coach at Catholic university, I was like mm -hmm. living in the dorm that they provided and, you know, a single guy. And I was just, I would go out, you know, on runs to the, through the district and, you know, Capitals yeah. campus is right there near Howard. Yeah. I can just remember running one night and kind of stumbling upon the campus. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this is pretty impressive. And then that, just that area with that, you know, U street corridor and all that is just, it, it's awesome. It's such a cool area where, you know, there's so much music, so much art, so much, yeah. uh, just so many, you know, great food, food, you know, restaurants and great little shops. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of people just don't know, you know, what's over there and how much Howard really has to offer, you know, um, and obviously being in the city and just the, in, in the capital, the benefits that come with that, you know, when you talk about job placements, internships, relationships, you know, all yeah. the things that come with going to school, you know, in a, in a true, um, urban environment, I think Howard has it all. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing place, man. I really, I really, really loved spending time there. And, um, you know, I think, a lot of people, you know, both black and white would kind of say the same thing to me, kind of ask me the question, well, well, you know, oh, you're the, you're the, you're the white guy on campus. You're the white guy on staff. What's that like? I mean, quite frankly, like it was, it was great. I mean, everybody made me feel at home, you know, it was, it was extremely human. Um, and I think the, what I would always say back to folks like that, is like, well, what do you think it is to be, you know, a black kid at any school in the universe in this country, any school or university in this country? I mean, you're a minority there. You're maybe just one of a couple percent of entire school population. You just treat people like people. And I was, you know, I don't think I really went in there with any kind of predispositions or, or ideas of what it would be like for me. Um, but it was wonderful. I mean, it's a great experience. I love the people I work with. I love the, the, the feeling on campus. I love the kids that I coached and, and just the student body in general. And I mean, it was, it was a great place to be. I mean, I really can't say enough good things about it. Can you speak more about the, uh, the conference that, that Howard was playing? Cause I know there was just a conference change that just took place. I think you yep. were actually one that told me about that mm -hmm. um, kind of academic requirements to get in some of those kind of back end things on like on the recruiting side that maybe you sold. 
Yeah, I mean, Howard is, is, Howard is an extremely difficult academic institution. So there is Which not I think a, a lot of people don't know, right? Like a lot of yeah. people wouldn't guess that just from, I think the reputation and the perception of Howard and kind of, you know, a lot of, a lot of people wouldn't categorize Howard like that, which is really odd. Right. I mean, Hi, Howard, Howard could be, could be grouped with the Ivy leagues, like no problem, no problem. And I know there was some, some rumors going about that, you know, there may have been a, a, a push to try to move Howard into, into the Ivy league or, or to at least pack their schedule with more Ivy league teams um, just to have a little bit more of an equal playing field. Um, just because, you know, we could not get a kid into the school if he didn't have, I mean, a 3.0 would be a stretch. I mean, if we, we needed to get kids at like three, five or three, five above to make it like a guarantee where we wouldn't need to really have a, a deep conversation with, with admissions or anyone else. Cause quite frankly, admissions didn't want to hear it. Admissions felt a really strong, um, responsibility to the institution to maintain the academic level of the place, which, I think I had a difficult time in my volunteer years really understanding, but once I kind of became the, the, the main recruiter or the head recruiter for our staff, once I understood what, what the administration and or the admissions department needed, that's what I targeted. Um, I had a number of people kind of look at me and be like, well, you're gonna have a hard time finding, you know, top soccer players who are minorities who, who have the academics to kind of check all those boxes who could be eligible to play at Howard and then actually want to play at Howard versus going and playing for, you know, a Maryland, a Clemson, uh, you know, pick your big school that they could attend. But to be quite honest with you, once, once I got the information out there and I got ID camps started for the first time at Howard, um, created a database for all of our recruits and anyone who contacted me, uh, updated our website with the help of our sports information guy, uh, Derek, who was just, massively helpful um and also worked with our equipment manager um d wood darren who was just uh, again massively helpful as where well. we we kind of came up with this way of making sure information was easy and accessible for recruits to find to get in touch with me and you'd be amazed how many people contacted me after the fact and after getting all this stuff put together on the website and whatnot just to have information and direct contact who contacted me and said I've been trying to get in touch with you for a year, for two years, for six months, for whatever, you know, and it, I would get, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 emails a week. And I it got to a point where like, I couldn't even like handle it myself anymore. And I started getting help from, from volunteer assistants that we have um, guys like Sam Rivas who, who played a big part in that, but the outpouring was huge. And it was amazing to me to see how many people wanted to play there. Um, and we started putting together some pretty talented recruiting classes in my, my last year or two there. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's a tough school. I mean, you're looking at like a, to, to safely and soundly get in, you're looking at like a minimum of a three, 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 four with like a, um, you know, out of the 1600 scale, like 1150 or 1200 SAT to get in. What are some other things that you think just maybe, um, misconceptions about Howard or, or battles that you constantly fought on the recruiting trail that you would, you know, if you, you tried when you were there and now you, you would hope you could educate parents and prospective student athletes on about Howard. <sighs> obviously there's the academic component. I think there's obviously the, the culture component of, right. Yeah, I would probably say that there's a lot of folks who say 
HBCU, you can only go there if you're a black student. I think sure. that's, a, that's a perception that a lot of people probably have that, you know, I was obviously not true. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we ended up having myths and rumors. Yeah. We, we had, I mean, again, we, we had a pretty diverse team, um, you know, a diverse team for, for an HBCU as well, you know, where we had a mix of, you know, African-Americans, um, Africans, uh, players from the West Indies, uh, local American kids, whether they be of, you know, Hispanic descent or, you know, even a couple of, of white kids, um, kids who wanted to just play and kids who felt comfortable at Howard. Um, these weren't kids who came to Howard without understanding that it was an HBCU, without knowing what the history of the institution was and how important it was. They came there, they visited, they spent time there and they felt comfortable there and they wanted to be there and they felt like they fit in. Um, and we were really, really happy to have that. We were really, really happy to have that diversity within our team. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, I, I can't think of any real other misconceptions about the school. I mean, there's certainly, you know, again, the main focus, I'd say that school is academics and you, you can't really fight that. You can't really argue with that. And, and I think you're going to fight a losing battle if you try to go against it. So I think a big part of when you talk to recruits, you, you speak to families of recruits, it's letting them know how important the academic side is at that institution. You're not going to come in there and be kind of pushed through class and given an easy schedule and and being let off the hook if you miss some classes or miss a test because of a game or a practice. Like academics absolutely come first there. And, it, and that's not just me or anyone on the staff saying that. That's the professor saying it. Like they didn't give the kids an inch. They didn't give anybody any slack. So the expectation's really high. But, you know, we uh, we went from – a team when coach Dow came in there that was put on academic probation. I mean, they just had year after year of just sub 2.0 GP team GPAs eventually got put on probation by the NCAA. It was two years of no postseason, limited scholarships, um, limited training hours, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And basically that team went from that two years of academic probation to the highest team GPA in our conference. Um, and some of awesome. the smartest kids. Yeah. Some of the smartest kids. I was talking about one today. I was talking about, um, Lloyd Pierre today, who is a, a right back and a center back for us from Trinidad, who is now, I think he just finished his graduate degree at Delaware for physical therapy, where he got a full scholarship to, to do that program, but he got a 4.0. He got straight A's his entire four years at Howard while playing, while going on these trips while dealing with the lifestyle of a division one athlete, um, just an exceptional kid, an exceptional human being. Um, and another guy like Joel Cunningham, who's over in Iceland pursuing a professional career now. Joel. Yeah. You know, Joel, he played with the U 23s for DC, but I mean, another just wonderful person who just put in the time and he did a full undergrad and master's degree in four years. Um, so just the, the, the mentality of the group changed. And again, the main focus was academics. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting, too, because you said you had to target that. And I think that's something a lot of players don't realize as well is like in parents, there's a, a misconception out there where it's like if you're good enough, they'll find a way to get you in. And it's like, no, actually, they won't. No, they, actually, won't. they, they can't control it. It's, yeah. This is the threshold and that's it, you know, and it's it's just it's so refreshing to hear you say that and kind of confirm it. And this is just one case at a school where 
a lot of people don't associate it with being a big time academic school and imagine right. what it would be like at a Georgetown, a, a Wake Forest, a Stanford, a, an Ivy League school, right? So yeah. it's uh it's really interesting to hear. Um well, I got a few yeah, more questions. Go ahead. Sure, no, it's just gonna just kind of build on the end of that. I mean, this is like the same university where you have, you know, you know, like Kamala Harris came through there. I mean, Thurgood Marshall, Elijah Cummings, like these are serious people in, in the history of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um like it is, it is a serious, serious academic institution. And I don't think I really understood that as a volunteer assistant where I was very much kind of on the outside of recruiting. And then once I took over the recruiting and I was having these conversations with guys like Paul Bowden, our assistant athletic director, who's a great guy, um, where he was just kind of throw papers back at me and be like, this kid's not getting in. Like, mm-hmm. please don't come back to my office with this. And it was a couple of those. Mm-hmm. And so I realized, okay, well now I understand kind of the, the window I'm working in. And I started coming to him with people that made sense. He went like, okay, that could work, that could work, that could work. So yeah, I mean, similar to what you're saying, it's just kind of calibrating and figuring out where you fit. And then you just find kids who, who fit that, that mold. Did you see kids not make it there? Like, did you see kids who like they couldn't survive Absolutely. academically once they came in? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there were some kids, um, you know, yeah, maybe you, you had to stretch to get them in a little bit and it, it ultimately was a bad idea. You know, it, it worked against you. Um, so I, I eventually learned not even to bother with that. Mm-hmm. I eventually learned to just bring in kids who, who check those boxes, who had proven themselves academically during their high school career and that you felt confident would hold up. Uh, at Howard because we did see kids who came in in their freshman year especially that fall semester where they're on the road and they're traveling for games I mean some some kids struggled mightily yeah can you give us an idea of like as a as the recruiting coordinator the main assistant however you want to view it um or one of two assistants how many emails were you getting a day from kids that you know if you could break it up in terms of like kids that you thought were legitimately interested recruiting services that we're reaching out like what's your what's your daily inbox looking like in howard uh god probably probably looking at like i mean i i want to say it's nothing crazy but you're probably looking at like 50 emails a day you know somewhere in that window like between between 30 probably 30 on the low end 50 on the high end you know really during like heavy recruiting parts of the season i would say Mm -hmm. um yeah, the recruiting services were big, but but also again, once that once the information on the website and whatnot was updated properly, where it was easy and clear to get in touch with us, which it had never been before, um, the emails and the contacts just came pouring in, and the ID camps went from, I mean, literally in the I started running them that first year, became the main assistant. The first one, I think we had thirty kids. Uh, the second one about six months, three or six months later, we had 60 kids. And then, you know, just, you know, my last year there, I remember we, I, I, I did it. I had to rent another field. I'd get another field. I mean, we ended up having close to a hundred, a hundred plus kids, which, you know, you look at the bigger schools in the country, that's not a big deal to them, but that was massive for us. I mean, we had never had that kind of attention before. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the intention was there. And once the kids knew that we existed, they can get in contact with us. They did. How heavy did you recruit the camp? I didn't really, I, I, I honestly, I didn't even put it out to any of the, uh, you know, recruiting services or I'm or, sorry. Uh, how, when the kids came to the camp, how, how heavily did you look at that? Like we can find players here. Oh, Oh, oh I wow. mean, ext- extremely heavily. I mean, extremely heavily. I think, uh, 
I, I was really, you, you get the same question at every single ID camp. You do the Q and A with the kids and, and every single time one of the kids asks you, you know, Hey, how many kids do you actually bring on the team from these ID camps? Or are these just to make money? Um, and going back to my conversation about head coaches, when I was in my recruiting process, I just try to be as honest as possible with those kids. I say it's a, it's absolutely important for us to make money for these camps. No question about it. Like we're not men's basketball or not men's, we're not football. We don't get the same kind of funding as everybody else. It's very important for us. B or the second part of that though is yes, we do bring in kids from these camps. You are absolutely giving yourself a chance to be seen by us in some cases where I would have never seen you before. Like perfect example, one kid, Julian Bennett, who is out from St. Louis, Missouri. Kid was inundating me with emails. He wouldn't leave me alone. Constantly sending me video, sending me updates, sending me, I mean, just almost getting on my nerves. And I was like, listen, I'm not really that interested in you. You're not, you're not playing, you know, in my opinion, at a high enough level. You're sending me high school film. Yeah, your team's winning. Yeah, you know, you look okay, but I can't really gauge that against the competition you're playing with. And you're not going to be at any of the tournaments that are on my schedule. So I don't know how I'm going to see you, man. Like, basically, it's a no until you can get in front of my eyes. And he ended up coming out to our ID camp. Um, and I saw him in person. And literally, the like the first scrimmage I went like, we, we gotta, we gotta get him. I said, we've got to get him. And so we had a conversation, you know, the, the first opportunity we had after that, and it was a done deal. And I, I think it was, you know, let's say specifically, you know, Julian, for example, in this regard, you had a kid who was really, really passionate about being at Howard. So just having him having that emotional attachment to school, you know, you're going to get so much from him. Um, and then seeing he was actually a really uh, a high quality player, it was just a win-win, but it would have never happened. It would have been an absolute no if I hadn't seen him in person at ID camp. Um, you know, Malik Sella is another kid who was from Memphis, same, same kind of conversation, wasn't playing at a high enough level, in my opinion, at home, came into an ID camp, came up to DC. I saw him play, changed my mind. Um, so it I, absolutely happened. Yeah. And I think for, for, from the coach's perspective, you know the, the player is serious about you when they come to your ID camp, right? Right. Because they're not going to waste right. their time. Uh, for me, it's one of two scenarios. Either you sent a mass email and they took the bait on it and everybody on that team got the email and they're just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the camp because they emailed sure. me. Or it's, I really want to go to this camp because I really, really like Howard or whatever it is, Wake, Maryland, whoever they get the ID, the ID camp from, email from. So. Um, but once you go there, it gives you a chance to get on campus. It gives you a chance to interact with the staff. You can yeah. see the facilities. You can take a tour afterwards on your own through admissions. You know, yeah. you can get to see a lot of different aspects. And, you know, I think you can tick a lot of boxes by going to the ID camp. That's why I really support the ID camp at the school if it's like on your top 10 list, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, God, I, I don't think this really existed when we were playing, when we were in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, I think once they, they came to be a thing and, and, and a big staple of, of college soccer, both on the men's and women's side, I, I think I pretty much direct kids the same way you do now, where it's like, if you like the school, you're serious about it, is it an option for you? You know, you ask, you know, kind of all the right questions. Does it, is it a school you can get into? Is it a school you can see yourself at? Yeah, go to the ID camp, you know, give yeah. it a shot, see what happens. Yeah, I think it makes sense.
Um, real quick on the conferences, can you just give everybody an idea of what conference Howard was in and what yeah. they're in now? Yeah, so typically, so most most of the Howard sports are in the MEAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, which is traditionally all the HBCUs. They're, Howard men's soccer is the only men's soccer team out of any of those HBCUs. Uh, the women play in the MEAC, although that's just changed because there's women's teams in each one of the, those HBCUs where they can support a conference, but on the men's side. So the men, we played in the Sunbelt Conference. So we had Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina was, was the big dog in that conference. Um, Appalachian State, they always put together a decent team. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a tricky conference. It was, I mean, you know, it was tough for us. We, we struggled for a number of years in there, but really started to compete in battle in the last year or two and, and start to kind of pull our weight in there. But Coastal Carolina was always a measuring stick. And now it sounds like, you know, obviously I'm out of there now, but it looks like they're going to be moving into the NEC, the North Eastern Conference for 2021, which is something I know they've been working on for a couple of years. So uh, happy for them. I think, I think it's moving in the right direction. That's awesome. Good. Well, I got three more questions. I know it's late. You look tired. I look tired. So uh, no, I mean, I've just but, been in the sun all day. I just got yeah. a nice sunburn on my forehead. That's about it. But uh, I think these are, these are three really interesting questions, I think. So you transition out of Howard, you and I meet, we talk kind of about what you're looking for. You mm -hmm. end up coming over to DC and now you're on like the, the opposite end of the spectrum where you were recruiting players um, getting them into college or at least talking them through their college recruiting process of, you're considering Howard and maybe a couple other schools, you should come to Howard. Now you're on the opposite side of it where you're helping players find the right fit. Cause we, we stick you with the U 17s with DC United and that's the main recruiting age. Yeah, like yeah. By the time you get to 19s, you've probably already committed or maybe you're starting the process a bit late, but like sophomore year going into junior year and then your junior year is kind of like the bread and butter for you recruiting wise so now you're about a year and a half into your time with dc what do you, how do you view the recruiting process for academy players now differently how do you view the academy the recruiting process for specifically dc united players do you think you should have had more at howard some of those questions you know like because you've seen it now you've seen what it is in an mls academy and there is definitely this, this, this idea out there that those kids can go anywhere they want. All of our kids can go to UNC, Duke, Maryland, sure. Howard, UCLA. They can go anywhere they want. And you and I both know that's not the truth. Well, yeah, I mean, the, and yeah, I, and I think the, the truth not behind that, that, is not, that. Not that they're not good enough because the process is difficult. The process is difficult and there's just a lot of boxes you got you to gotta tick off to be eligible for any school or university and there are only so many slots on each team right mm -hmm. um yeah i mean you know it's my my last year or my last you know six months or so at howard i started to look into the dc united to the world a little bit more aggressively i felt we were at a point where we could really compete for players finally we could complete compete for those kind of recruits um so i started kind of dabble into to that arena i i brought in you know, are literally the, the first players from the DA that, that Howard had, had ever had really, um, you know, kid from Houston Dynamo, kid from Concord fire, um, Chicago fire, um, Minnesota, you know, there were a couple of kids that came in. So I kind of saw it, saw it from the outside looking in a bit, but in all honesty, like I knew we weren't punching or, or competing for the top most heavily recruited kids from the DA or from those teams. So I was kind of looking for those kids who were going a bit under the radar 
Um, so it was uh, kind of the beginning of that process for me. Then making the switch to DC and now being on this other side of you said, it's, it's absolutely different because the conversations are, you know, not with, you know, let's say the mid-majors or the lower end schools of D1 or even D3s, but it's like you're talking about, you know, the Big Ten teams, ACCs, the Pac-12, like the biggest team in this country coming and looking at these players. I mean, you have a kid like, you know, Phil Bogdanov who just committed to Stanford. Like, who's going to argue with anybody that that's the top program in the country? Um, you know, you have kids in that mix who are playing with a national team. So, I mean, it's very much a different level. And I think it's the conversation on my end now feels like after having been in the shoes of a college coach and of a college recruiter, I'm now on the other side where I'm kind of giving my honest, pure advice on each one of these kids. And, and I think, again, going back to the honesty piece, that that's the only thing I can do. Um, both with the player and with the coach that I'm talking to. If someone gets in touch with me and asks me about Phil or pick your player, I'm going to be dead honest and as brutally honest as I can, both positively and negatively about those kids, what their strengths are both, you know, not just on the field, but, but mentally and psychologically and how they carry themselves and how they do academically. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to, to sell anyone anywhere. I want them to go somewhere where they fit and that's got to fit on, on both ends. Yeah. And I think as the coach, so if you now become the U 17 assistant coach or me as a U 15 head coach or, you know, Nate Baker last year as a U 17 head coach and Gus as a U 17 coach, the recruiting coach, the guy whose player is getting recruited. If you don't give an honest opinion on the player to the college coach, then you lose your reputation as, you know, the, the youth coach who's looking to place the player, you know, and right. looking to move them on. So that's something that I think a lot of players and families, you know, have to realize as well is that the coach wants the player to find the right fit, but he also wants to maintain the relationship with the college coach and make sure he's sending players that are the right fit from a, can he play at the level, but also is he a Howard kid? Is he an right. Indiana kid? Like there's a culture that exists at the school with the soccer program and he has to fit that culture. So like you said, nobody's going to talk to you right now as a DC United coach, uh, you know, like from Howard, if the kid is a 2.0 student, he's not going to get in like you said about Howard. So it has to fit in so many different ways. Yeah. It's Um, funny in in that same vein. I mean, when I was the coach at Howard, like again, those, those two and a half, three years where I was in charge of recruiting, there were a couple of guys who I talked to once And I saw who they were pushing and what they were, how they were describing that player and, you know, basically tell them how amazing they were, how they were going to do things at Howard, how were the best kid they had, you know, you got to look at them, you got to do this, you got to do that. And then I'd see the kid and I mean, it was like a rec level kid. And I went, well, I'll never go to that person again. I'll never go to that person ever again. I won't trust some of their opinion at all. And it literally just takes, you know, especially in those initial meetings or first impressions with anybody who's looking to any coach who's looking to push you one of their players. It's like you have a very, very, very short rope in terms of that trust you can build or you can totally destroy it right off the bat. Um, And those guys who recommended players who were of the level and the quality and the type of the kid that fit, I always went back to. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's really valuable advice there. Um, what would you tell kids going through the recruiting process right now, now that you've 
been a student athlete, you've played in college, you've gone abroad, you've coached in college, you're coaching in one of the most competitive academies, in, you know, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell a kid going through the process right now? Just a couple of bullet points. Uh, I would say, I would say probably in my opinion, more than anything is go put your feet on the ground at the campus. You know, I, I think I could state the obvious here and say, well, you know, do research on the team and do research on the coaching staff and on the school. Do you fit in, fit in academically? But like all that kind of stuff will, will figure itself out more or less. Um, what I think you cannot research is a, is a feeling and you have to go there and be there and be present. Uh, stay there a couple of nights, you know, do your overnight if you, if you can get away with that, if, if they're that interested in you spend time with the players, see if you connect with those players, um, see if you can be yourself around those players and in that environment, see if you connect with the coaches. And it's, it's tricky with the coaches because you don't spend that much time with them on a recruiting trip in many cases. Um, and I think it's maybe, you know, maybe this is me being a little cynical, but I think it, it, it's tough in some cases to feel like you're not, they're not trying to sell you something because obviously they want you there. They want you to commit. So they're going to show you their best selves and they're going to, you know, fluff things up and try to show you how, you know, I'm going to show you how cool DC is. You know, I'm going to show you how amazing the university is. Of course I want you to have a positive experience, but you you really do want to go back to where we started. You want to have a good positive feeling in your gut that this is the right place for you. And I think you absolutely cannot replicate that from looking online or from just doing research. So yeah, just get your feet on the ground more than anything else. Yeah. And I think that you mentioned five things that are right with that. Right. So it's like, it's not just getting on campus. It's everything that happens once you get to campus mm-hmm. and kind of get to that step. And it's interesting to me because I think that's something that a lot of guys underestimate is actually getting to campus. And I don't know if it's, you know, just young players nowadays and uh, or if it's their hectic schedules or what, but I feel like a lot of kids don't, get to campus and a lot of some a lot of kids make commitments before they've even been to campus and it's like yeah I think that's crazy to me yeah me too I think it's a big mistake I mean if if you know all's well that ends well but I think it's it's a big mistake if if you don't go there and literally spend time with the people that you're going to spend the next four years with potentially in the environment you're going to potentially spend the next four years in um yeah I, I don't think there's any substitute for that yeah no well well said uh and that kind of leads us into our last question here obviously we're all navigating a pandemic uh it's been really challenging times for all of us individually uh all of us you know uh as as leaders as coaches and certainly for the student athletes you know this is a really challenging time so i know i've answered this question a lot on different you know instagram lives i've been on and webinars i've done with different groups um and some of the players i work with you know um with their college recruiting process, but what advice would you give to players right now during this pandemic of how they can still push their recruiting process forward, knowing what you know? I think it's hopefully you have game film. I mean, first off, hopefully you have game film, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, if, if there's ever been, and it's crazy how many times I've had this conversation with kids that I've coached or kids I've trained, you know, before this pandemic. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of an, I told you so a little bit, but it's like, you tell kids like, you got to get game film, got to get game film, got to get game film and not just a highlight tape. 
Like have that. That's good. That's important. Something to catch coach's attention, but you've got to have game film and hopefully one you played okay in, you know? Um, but like now more than ever, that's unbelievably valuable. So if you have that, great, good on you. If you don't have that, if you're already in a conversation with a coach who's hopefully seen you play, I think it's about being persistent um, in a respectful way, being persistent of just checking in, seeing how it's going, seeing where things are at, if they made any decisions on things yet, let them know what you're up to, um, what your plans on for are for, for the fall, you know, if we have a fall or the winter or for the spring or whatever it may be, and just let them know that you're taking care of business on your end. Um, I think it's really important, but um, it's, it's, it's a balance because I say like, be aggressive, be persistent, let them know you're there. Let them, you know, if you found a school you want to be at, let them know that's where you want to be and, and try to lock it in. If you're at that point in your career where you need to be committing or want to be committing, but it's about trying to do it in a tasteful fashion. So that you're not like coming off as pushy and annoying and maybe pushing those coaches in a different direction saying, I don't want to deal with this kid. So I think it's just staying in touch. Staying in touch, staying respectful, making sure you're taking care of business on your end and letting them know you're you're doing that and that you still exist. Yeah, I, I think again, again, well said from somebody who's been through it on uh, in a lot of different ways. And you know, something else just to add on to that, like the getting on campus is not the same as a virtual tour. But yeah. if you can take a virtual tour right now and at least see the campus, the other thing I, I'm telling a lot of people right now is like you can still walk on the campus it might be shut down right. but you can walk on the campus you can walk on in the stadium a lot of these places you know you can walk up to the buildings you can see the architecture you can see the the city around it so just you can still do a campus visit it might just not be an official visit with the soccer coaches and the the players and seeing a game and interacting seeing a, a class and session stuff like that but the game film is definitely a big one I also say they can edit the video right now they can edit their highlight video they can edit yeah. their resume they can make it better and they can just continue the 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 communication like you mentioned you know and also do the research on the back end so that when we get through this thing you have a very clear idea of this is my top five these are my top five schools and this is why because you've taken this time where you, you don't have a lot going on and you've done that research you know right it's it's uh you know, I was having this conversation. I was telling you with uh, with Nate Baker the other night, just to kind of in general, of like what you're doing with this time, and it carries into the same vein. It's like, are you just are you just wasting this time, like doing nothing, or you know, are you are you using this time to prepare for the next thing, to prepare for coming back to play, to get better at, at in areas you lack within your game, or to manage your recruiting process, or to make highlight film like you should absolutely not be doing nothing during this time yeah, like, that would be a damn shame yeah I mean, maybe that's the easiest way to say it you know it's like just don't let your process stand still and just find different ways to push it forward you know so um and the coaches have time on their hands right now to watch the video right like this is i tell yeah. players this is the best time you're gonna have a chance of getting that video watched because the coaches don't have events to go watch the coaches don't have yeah. academy showcases or high school games to watch right now so uh and and they're, they're a lot of them are potentially not going to have a season so yeah 90 percent of them probably yeah. right yeah so. and at the end of the day every everybody's in the same place so i mean you can you can you know sit and say you know feel sorry for yourself and think about how bad the situation you're in is is in and how your recruiting process is getting messed up and you're not going to have a a season or a senior season or something it's like 
I understand that. Take your time to deal with it, but then move on and realize like you have work to take care of and it's an opportunity. You just have to see it that way. And the coaches are in a strange place as well, where, like you said, they got time and they can't get out to tournaments. So give them something to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And it's also, I wonder how it's going to affect the actual college rosters, like foreign players, maybe not being able to get back into the country. And you know how many foreign players are on college rosters. Yeah. Players getting granted another season of eligibility. So they stay in college and that affects the high school classes coming behind them. Um, it will be really interesting to see how this happens. Maybe budgets getting cut, scholarships getting taken away. We've already seen, unfortunately, a couple of programs that have been cut with yeah. Cincinnati and Appalachian State. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. But, you know, I think we, we're learning more every day, and you just kind of have to adapt to it, you know, and just r- roll with the punches. So, Right. What else can you do? But, Matt, we've taken up a lot of your time. I appreciate it. It's been over uh, 90 minutes. We've, we've played a full match here. So, Jeez. Um, I appreciate your flexibility tonight, and I appreciate your – your wisdom as always it's uh it's been really cool getting to know you more and uh getting to know your experiences more so i definitely appreciate it anything else you want to plug before you get off no no man not, not, not nothing really comes to mind i mean i again i appreciate it. it's good questions man it, it's helped me kind of think through what what my experience is so far and i think at the end of the day stuff like this and conversations like this are just it's like we kind of been through some of this stuff so the least we can do is put it out there and try to help kids and uh yeah i mean you you know you plugged a couple of things i'm doing right now just with my company with uh, atd and then my podcast time and space so check them out you know we're we're here to help man we're just resources yeah check them out no and it's uh that's what we want to do i'll I'll echo that we really want to just provide value and provide some answers from our experiences and from our network and uh we've been fortunate to have some pretty cool experiences. So uh, I think that's why we get along so well. So appreciate it. Enjoy the night and uh, I'll be in touch. All right. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.